Hi, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode of The Right Club. I'm Laurel Simmons, a co-founder of The Right Club, and I am joined today by my co-host, Catherine Nelson-Riley, who's our great operations manager. Catherine, we are continuing our conversation with Drew Todd today in part two of this interview. And in his first, in the first part of his episode, of this episode or of this interview, he really talked about how he got started and what he did. And in this part, he really focuses on how he uses what he calls his financial and social responsibility lenses. And it's really cool to listen to someone talk about how it's not just about the money. There's so many other factors that he and his team like to take into account when they create these real estate developments. I know that I was fascinated and as were you. Well, he's literally taking us behind the scenes with the thought process, with the planning process and the development process to, first of all, just to determine whether or not a project and a neighborhood is the right fit and why and how. And exactly, as you said, this one looks into all of the for the financial and social responsibility lenses. It's really fascinating. So I'm going to say let's get to and learn a little bit more about this. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. So I would say one of the things that you need to do first before you go into a negotiation is get a clear understanding of the business case for yourself. So what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, the numbers are the numbers. And so when you're going into a negotiation, you need to know what is your walk away place, you know, and you need to remember, and I fell into this at first too, you know, you talked about being a beginning investor and getting emotional, like you get into it and like you want to win and there's something about winning it, but you could win a deal and then ultimately lose in the end because you fought too hard to get something that didn't economically work. And so what I am trying to say is that before you go into negotiations, you really need to do your due diligence on understanding the business case for whatever strategy you are doing to make sure you know, hey, this is my walk away number. If I get this, it's good. If I get this, it's good. But this is the place where I need to walk away and it's okay because the next deal is around the corner. And I can tell you, I used to get frustrated when I'd lose a deal. But what I've learned in my time is that man, there's tons of deals and the next one is right around the corner. And it's, I've taken on deals, you know, that I hindsight would have said, man, I could have passed because I, you know, around the corner was a better deal. So be sure, especially when you're starting, say no more than you say yes. And be really sure about what your walk away in your business case is before you go into that negotiation. Oh, I think that's hard. That's probably one of the hardest things what you said just now. Say no more than you say yes, especially for a real estate investor, because often real estate investors are getting into it because they want to get out of something else, right? Just like you were. 
Yes, you like, got it. You're hungry. You want to get it. You want to do it, right? You got no deal. What are you doing? You got to work, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's hard. I don't. I don't care whether you're an, a new investor or a more experienced one. That's hard. It's hard to walk away from something that maybe looks okay on the surface. Shiny objects are everywhere. <laughs> but be aware, you know, they may not appear to be what they seem to be, right? So it's it's interesting. Our due diligence process over the years has modified so much. And to go back to that, say no more than you say yes. We are very selective about the projects that we take on now. The first one is a very deep due diligence analysis from a financial perspective. And if we don't hit a certain target, we've learned that it's not worth our staff and our time to do it. And the second one is we actually have outside of the, the financial feasibility, we have a social return filter and due diligence process. So we actually look at every deal, A, through the financial lens, which is, hey, the van is not leaving the you know driveway unless it hits that number. And that number has to have contingencies within it. And it also has to have what we would call deal insulation. So deal insulation for us is like a shield and a protection, which is beyond the numbers work, beyond the contingency budget. Because anybody who's done a deal knows you spend, you know, at least some, if not all of your contingency budget. It just happens. That's why it's there. Then you have your deal shield insulation. And that's the other layer where we would say we stress test the deals to say, hey, if the market shifts, what happens? If, you know, best case scenario, okay, yes. Worst case scenario, yes. And most likely case scenario. And we stress test our cost per square foot of construction. We stress test the cost per linear foot of lot. If it's that project, you know, we stress test all of the different economic drivers just to be sure, you know, that those numbers are correct. Um, anyway, so that that's filter A and filter B is the social return that we've developed. And this social return, we ask, hey, how many tax dollars are we going to generate for the local community? Hey, what sort of community benefit are we having? C, how are we integrating into the lo local fabric of the existing neighborhood? Another thing, like what way can we contribute to the attainable or affordable housing of this community? Can we make this community walkable? Can we make this community bikeable? You know, we draw a circumference and we say, what's within five minute walking distance, 10 minute walking distance, 10 minute bike ride, five minute bike ride. And the other thing that we do is a carbon emission reduction strategy. So we ask, how, you know, like guys, listen, global warming is a massive issue. You know, guess what the two biggest culprits are? Car trips and construction. So we got to build houses, right? We're in a massive housing shortage. And so we look at how can we reduce car trips by making our developments walkable, bikeable? We do car share. So we do electric Tesla 3 car share in all our communities now, electric scooter, electric bike share. Not everybody's going to do it, but there's the option if people want to. 
And then as we're building, we look at how can we reduce carbon emissions? So we just became a net zero certified builder. We have our first net zero ready building being constructed as we speak, which we're super excited about. Anyways, I'm going on a rant. I'm going to come back to my filter, but social emit, social, I'll be okay. Carbon emission reduction. And we also look, how many trees can we plant on the site? How much landscape you know, can we do? So beautification and landscape in every one of our developments. How many trees are we going to plant to help you know, absorb carbons? That's another thing that we do. So we've created this refined filter. And so if we hit economic filter, if we hit social return filter, now you know, the truck rolls out of the van and we do the project. And I give you that as an example to tell you that as a new investor, you really want to read, like I said, you really want to ask mentors and you want to document a logical due diligence process that's not only done by you, but you know, there's things that I miss that I need, you know, Spencer on my team to look at. And I need Dylan, my financial controller, to be a second set of eyes to vet this budget and look. Right. You need to have, you know, it says counsel, you know, wisdom is in the, uh, you know, counsel of many. Right. So hone that due diligence process. Don't neglect really developing that as much as possible. So how long did it take you to develop the, basically the two lenses, the financial lens and the social lens? I mean, obviously the financial lens came first, but because I can see where you could get to a point in various development projects that there must be a tipping point, right? It's like, okay, it's really good financially, but on the social side, we're not seeing the returns or the benefits. And that I would imagine would be a fairly difficult place to be in. I'm sure there are solutions. There are always solutions if you have the time and the money and the effort and, well, and the willpower. One of those solutions could be to walk away. I mean, there's always a solution, right? But I guess the question is somewhere in there, at what point do you say, okay, we've got a problem here. And how do you know that's approaching? Because I know you have your, I guess you have a model, right? I don't know whether, you, whether yes. it's a computerized model or you feed things in. But So do you have a gut feeling when you get to a certain point in the project? Do you back that up with, with the numbers? Like, how do you make that decision? And how do you take this, all the social stuff, which is really important, and really make that the foundation because if I am hearing you correctly, it sounds like that this is more important than the financial, actually. That's the sense I'm getting because you can make money anywhere, right? Yes. So let me unpack that. First thing, the question was, I think, I don't know if it was the wrestle of the two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The right. Because here's an interesting thing, right? Like, if you're giving something, right, that costs something, right? So if I'm going to plant more trees, that's going to cost me money, right? I could do the minimal and that would actually make me more money, but it would be less of a social return. And in my mind, less of a beautiful development. Okay. So I want you to picture it like a teeter-totter, you know, and, you know, you put a rock over on the financial thing and boom, the other side goes up, right? Social goes up and, you know, financial goes down, right? Often 
when you build a really quality product, like for example, doing net zero, it costs more money to get a triple glaze window than a cheap vinyl window that is single glaze, right? As an example. So how do we decide, you know, do we do the triple glaze window? Do we not spend the money? Okay. And I can tell you how that specific development was thought through. We had a vision to do a very quality yet affordable condo project. And that condo project, we said, everything has to be top-notch quality, but we want to make it as affordable as possible, which competing values. So I'll tell you what we do. Every one of those decisions, we plug it in and we say, what is the benefit that's going to happen and how much will it cost us? So we look to get the greatest value for the best price of what we spend. And then we realize that, you know what, when you are creating something good and something that has a social benefit, people are attracted to it. Sometimes they may pay more for it. But, you know, when we get up every day and we go to work, we know, you know what, there's a certain amount of capital that we're making that is enough and it's awesome. And we don't want to just make money because it's not what motivates us at the end of the day. We want to give value to our community. We want to give value to people. So it's a constant wrestle to answer your question that we have to balance both of these seemingly competing values. And we maximize each side as much as possible. And at a certain point, we say, hey, we're not actually going to put that upgraded faucet to maybe Delta, we're going to do a Moen faucet. And that Moen faucet is functional and it looks beautiful and it's going to give that value, but it's not going to cost as much as the Delta. Does that, does that answer your question? You can pick it apart or ask me more if you'd like. Yeah. It's just, I mean, cause I, I can imagine it's a fairly complex decision-making process. There's many factors, right? Yeah. The cost of your materials, the cost of labor, yeah, the quality of your materials, even the quality of your labor, I would think, because that's important too, right? You know, you can have a great person or sorry, a, a not so good person working on the site who might, quote, save you money and you end up paying a lot more. You get what you pay for, right? You that is true. <laughs> che- cheap labor isn't cheap. <laughs> right. So you have all these factors to to take into account. And okay, here's the real question. How many projects that how many projects have you used this new model on, this new unique due diligence process on? And of those projects, how many of them, what would you say was your if we gave it a scale of one to ten, where one was you were really unhappy and ten is, oh my God, we solved world pollution and all the rest of that. Okay. (laughs) I'm trying to make this fun and easy at the same time. Totally. I love it. (laughs) Where would you say most of your projects end up on that scale? Good question. So let me, we've been using it for the last two years. Oh, so how many projects? 
We've we must have run it through 14-ish. And I'll tell you that I can give some examples. So the some projects that we've looked at that were deal breakers, they were not aligning with enough social good. And I'll tell you what the key thing was. There, there wasn't an ability to do any attainable or affordable option on that site. There wasn't an ability to make that site walkable or bikeable. So those ones made that a deal breaker. We, a good example of one that is, it's not a 10 because I like, we're not solving world peace here. We're not, of course we're not, not. fixing the ozone. <laughs> like, you know, I just want to be clear, like, you know, we are doing things that we know make a difference. And when I look at an, a, de- a development we're working on right now that has 1300 units, and is walkable, bikeable, you know, we got all of these different elements. I know that it's a step in the right direction. And what do I mean by that? I mean that the carbon emission reduction that we're doing is, it matters. It really does. But when we spread out, you know, of the 1300 units across Ontario and the amount of car trips and the amount of construction and the carbons that are being emitted, We're not making a massive change in that, but I can tell you why I still invest and why I still do it because every one of these steps in the right direction matters, right? Every, like when I talk to my kids, when I talk to teenagers and they think about the world that they're, you know, we're handing off to them, you know, my mentor tells me, he says, Drew, Everything you're building is for the next hundred years. Don't you ever forget that. And so the infrastructure and everything that we're doing does matter. It does make a difference. And it's moving and pushing the needle in the bar to be an example for other developers, an example for other people in the construction industry to say, hey, we've got a big problem and all of us need to work together to move in the right direction, if that makes sense. So I hinted a little bit about the development. The development that we're doing right now that hits the highest on our social good scoring system, it's called Warbler Place and it's in Welland. And what we did is we bought the underutilized parking lot, the north east section of the Seaway Mall in Welland. There was a target building of 130,000 square foot. We demolished that and we took this parking lot surface and we're transforming that into a residential neighborhood that's walkable, bikeable. We're going to have some attainable housing in there and it's going to enhance local businesses. It's going to feed business to the mall. The other thing is we're planting a thousand trees and plants and we're doing all native species and so that's gonna do a big thing because often in development you're cutting down trees this is an example of a huge win for us and for the community because of all of the social goods that it hits we're very proud of it the tax base that we're creating you know we're contributing a community benefit 
we're interconnecting, you know, social as well. So the social stuff that's happening, the mall walking that's happening, there's some seniors community services. We're on a bus line. We're a kilometer up from Niagara College. We're creating and hitting so many pieces that if I could do more of these specific developments or all of my developments could hit that those social scores, I would be super happy. So it sounds like you're, because you, you, I mean, nothing is perfect. It's not a perfect world. You have to weight your various factors on the social side, just like you weight various factors on the financial side, right? And yes. some are going to be more important than others. And it may mean, I'm extrapolating now for what you're saying, that if the walkability, and as you said, you know, you can't walk and you can't bike at all, then those are probably sound like they're pretty high on your score, like uh, weight, weighted. They would be weighted factors on your in your score, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so we, we have a filter with a numerical score, and one of the score is amount of tax dollars, and one is walkable, right? Like an actual, you know, walking score, like realtors, other folks can do this. Right. It's not complicated. You do a walkable score, and then we do a bike radius score. And for an example, in the walkable, it's like, hey, can you walk to the grocery store? Hey, can you walk to the dentist, the doctor? entertainment? Can you walk to your daily needs? Are you connected to a walking trail, right? What's the recreational, that interconnectivity that gives people the ability to choose not to hop in the car and burn those carbon emissions, you know, is what we look at in that walkable score as an example. Right. Okay. So, wow. I, you know what? I, we could talk to you all day. But people are going to have to have you back and talk more about this because I, I find this fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And I think that it's wonderful that you're doing this because somebody has to do it. It has to start somewhere and I think it will spread. So I'm really impressed too, really impressed. But let's get on to the lightning round now. So Catherine and I are going to ask you a question. Now, these are not difficult questions, <laughs> but we're just going to bounce them back and forth. Catherine, why don't you start here? See if I can knock him off his chair. <laughs> this week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 M-T-G-T-E-A-M. And check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. Yeah, <laughs> well, do it really quick. That was fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us today. So out of all of the things that you have done in your years, what is the best advice you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Oh, it, you know what? It goes back, Drew, what you're building for a hundred years. Never forget that. Good point. I like okay. it. Question two then, of all the personal attributes that you have, and we all have them, what's the one thing that you would point at as being the most significant in your success as a real estate investor and developer? 
Oh, you know, it's the creation of the real estate investment trust that we recently opened because- no, But I need get- as a, sorry, well, I'm going to interrupt you. Uh, personally though, your personal oh. attribute. Like what's the one thing that has made you really successful that you think, if you had to point to one thing? You know, it's mindset for sure. It's mindset. As in you've got one? <laughs> sorry. Sorry, maybe I'm not- I'm out to lunch on this. So like, are you saying what's my greatest like thing that makes me, me to do what I do? Yeah. You know, is it being stubborn? Is it being competitive? Is it being, you know, what characteristic is it? Is it just sticking to it? Is it being curious? Relentless dedication and hard work. All right. There you go. We got it. (laughs) Right. It is hard, these questions. I've, now that I think about it, they are hard sometimes. <laughs> Need more self-reflection. <laughs> <laughs> but then that takes away the lightning round part of it. That we That's need right. To That's right. Come on. Right Let's off go. the top, right? There you go. Stop stalling. What's next? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What, what is your favorite resource for real estate investing? Anything. It could be a book. It could be training, a person event. What is it that your, is your favorite resource? My favorite resource. Oh, mentors. Okay. All right. And last question then, what do you do to relax? Because we all have to relax. What's, what do you do to have fun and just recharge the batteries? Oh, you know what? We've been going up North lately and I'm loving hiking. So just hiking in the outdoors, clearing my head and mind. That's been, that's been it. I also do have a, you know, a, a love for snowboarding, kiteboarding, and we've been doing bouldering as well. So the outdoors and sports in the outdoors is definitely what clears my head. Ah, there you go. All right. How do people reach you, Drew? The best place to reach me is by email. And that is Drew, D-R-E-W at Toth, T-O-T-H group.ca. Our website is elevateliving.ca and tothgroup.ca as well. That's the best place to reach out. Okay, there you have it. So thank you so very much. I mean, great ideas, wonderful conversation. Thank you. Hey, wonderful talking to you ladies as always, and I appreciate the invite. Okay, bye for now. Well, everyone, I'm just amazed by what Drew and his team do. I think that they have set the bar really high and well done. I, you know, I wish that every real estate developer out there used their, the criteria that they use when they are developing real estate projects. Catherine, anything to add to that? It's really fascinating. And one of the things that as we've gotten to know Drew over the last few years and the different types of projects and how he's doing things and the different ventures, like it's not just one strategy that he is involved with. He really looks at he really looks at different opportunities that are coming up and to determine what is a good fit for the neighborhood and taking in that community responsibility and that social responsibility. And I was really impressed. And he sets the bar actually for other developers. It was yeah. quite fascinating. He really does. So anyway, we hope you enjoyed part two of this episode. If you haven't listened to part one, go find it and listen to it because Drew has lots of advice and lots of stories. And meanwhile, we're going to say goodbye. But before we do, don't forgive us. Don't forget to give us some odd love 
give us a rating on any of the streaming apps that you're using to listen to this podcast because that helps us reach other people. And don't forget to go to therightclub.com where there's hundreds, if not thousands of hours of free content at www.therightclub.com. So until next time, enjoy your life and customize your life. That's what it's all about. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.